This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we are going to be reviewing episode 203 of Picard, ominously called Assimilation, <laughs> and the Star Trek Discovery season 4 finale, Coming Home. But first, we have news, and boy is this news, <laughs> which is James T. Kirk is going to be on Star Trek Strange New World season 2. And the reason we know this, I we think, is because people spotted Paul Wesley, who was the star of, the Vamp of Vampire Diaries, in a Star Trek uniform filming Strange New Worlds. And word got out and everybody was buzzing about it. So Paramount Plus decided they'd better make it official. Here are the facts. Okay, so the press release said Paul Wesley is joining the cast in season two, but we don't know if it's a recurring role or guest star role or he's going to be there all season. They released an image of him in the captain's chair with captain's rank. He put out a little comment saying he's playing Captain Kirk. I did double check with Paramount and they're like, Anson is still the star of the show. <laughs> he's still a season regular as, you know, Rebecca's still there. Nothing's changing in season two that way for the cast. It's just there's also Captain Kirk. So because I think some people are like, wait a minute. Are they switching to Captain Kirk's show? That's not what this is. We don't know what it is, but that isn't what it is. So right. we can at least check that off the worry list. Which is still long. Just saying. <laughs> I mean, fans have been all over the place on this one. It's certainly caused quite a kerfuffle. The comment I will generally agree with is too soon. Yeah. You know, I figured eventually they'd get to Kirk. They couldn't help themselves. But you know, did they need to do it early on in season two? You know, we don't know what the story is, but that was my that was my initial thought. And mine, so you know, again, like you and I both try in general to be positive and not, you know, just be like, oh, it's gonna be garbage. So we're not that we don't have that mindset. But I have to say, you have a character like Kirk who has so much history that we know so much about. And so that is where it gets iffy for me. Like they have Uhura on it, which is fine because frankly, she was a grossly underdeveloped character. We found out almost nothing about her through three years of the show, movies. We still don't really know her. We don't know her history. We don't know her background. So fill that in. Sure. Chapel. We know some stuff, but same. Kirk, there's too, there are too many things. We know his whole career. We can map out a whole timeline. And he's told all these stories from his youth. Like, it's a such tricky territory to go into. And I don't know why they felt the need to do it, as you said, so quickly. Yeah, when you start getting into the canon of all of this. Yeah. Um, where that, you know, so if we assume the show continues on from the timeline where it is, it, it's just way too early for him to be there. To um, be a captain? To be a captain. Yeah. You know, the actor's older than Shatner was when they were shooting the original series. I think what we're dealing with here is some kind of time travel situation. So, because at this point, he is like a lieutenant on the Farragut. It's it's a little unclear, but he's definitely out there in the fleet somewhere. Um, it's, you know, it was implied that Pike didn't meet him until they handed off the ship yeah i think it was more than implied i think it was said <laughs> i'm sure they know all that it's not like they don't know that so maybe they never meet you know maybe it's another one of those uh, pinky swear situations here's the other tricky thing though the person he was filming with they're filming at a very busy toronto street corner in fact one of the busiest um <laughs> 
Um, and he was with Christina Chung, who's playing, as we know, a member of the Noonien Singh family. So how are we going to get around that? Like he just doesn't hear her name? You know, they did it with Enterprise and Borg and Ferengi, right? Where they were with them but didn't know that that's who they were? Yeah, I mean, it, it just doesn't. It, you know what? It, here's the thing. We don't know, right? Right. But we do know that they know that these are issues, right? So the, so the big question is, why are they doing this? What's the point? Um, because they've got all of these challenges to make it work. It's not easy. They've got to thread not one needle, but like 17 needles to mm-hmm. make this work. And what I don't know is, why is that even worth it? So, yeah, maybe they do, like, say, you know, they work it out where it all fits into canon if you look at it from a certain point of view, as Obi-Wan likes to say. Um, (laughs) But, okay, fine, you know, but why? Does the show need it? I don't, you know, here's the thing. You know, Paramount was so enthusiastic about the show, they gave it a second season, like, way before they, you know, know, while they're still editing it, you know. So fans really wanted a Pike show. I can't imagine because I was thinking about the book of Boba Fett and the knock on that show, which I agree with, is the show got bored with its own premise and started bringing in more interesting characters. Um, (laughs) But that that doesn't make sense for this show because we like Pike and we like number one and we like Spock. You know, you you know, there's a need to, you know, and you greenlit it. So I can't imagine they're bored with the concept already by season two after only 10 episodes to say, you know, we need Kirk. I mean, hell, if you, you know, it, it, they're skipping right over Scotty Sulu and bones. If you want to do some stunt casting, but I'm not going to say it's terrible. It sucks. It's horrible. I hate it. Well, it, it we don't I know that because we haven't seen it and we don't know what they're doing. I mean, the question is, the question isn't just why they're doing it, which is the biggest question, but also we we know they have access to all the same information and some of them know it, but do they care? Are they going to stick to it or are they not? That to me is a valid question too, because they don't always care about those things. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I mean, Akiva is the right. very variable here. And he has mm-hmm. talked about how they're going to, you know, work within canon, but they're going to, he likes to use this phrase, put a little English on it, which is a body english he says right yeah which basically means they'll they'll twist to themselves meaning they'll be aware of the issue and try to twist around it in some way as i was saying before this is obviously going to be one of those situations i'm not going to say i'm cautiously optimistic i'm cautiously pessimistic yeah but i'm not going to just say it's a terrible idea until i see it i haven't even seen episode one so still super looking forward to the show and I can't wait to see season one. One thing that Paramount was very happy about. So Wesley, who seems to be a generally cool guy and a smart guy, and he's acted, directed, produced, and has a really big fan base. Uh, that Vampire Diary show, I didn't watch it, but super Me popular. Neither. It was really big on the CW. It's a big show, yeah. You know, when he made the announcement, he apparently he's a fan and it was a big deal for him. He shared a picture of himself with William Shatner on an airplane where they met randomly recently. And then Shatner, you know, sent out a very nice tweet. Yeah, that was so nice. He said, keep my ship and crew safe, Captain. Yeah, which that, you don't have to do. Um, no, it was, and he doesn't always do nice, generous things like yeah. that. So I thought that was actually very, very nice. Of course, Paramount. 
uh, retweeted that. Kurtzman quote tweeted it. You know, so they're like, "Look, Shatner said it's okay." Yeah, so, you it's know, fine. Everybody... Stop complaining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we could take a page out of Shatner's book and just uh, hope it all works out well, and we'll see what happens. But one weird angle to this is, is that getting into our next story 2023 is the year that star trek returns to the big screen and that means it's the year that captain kirk returns to the bridge of the uss enterprise in the kelvin universe at least and with chris pine and you know so is that the year to bring another kirk into the franchise well, let's face it. There are actually a lot of Kirks. I was thinking about all the episodes where there were two Kirks, and maybe it's one of those. Like my first thought, which I saw someone else had posted on Twitter or something, was it's Android Kirk from when he got was on the spinning turntable. And then there's <laughs> lots of different. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's evil Kirk or good Kirk. No, there's a lot of different Kirks. But anyway, I there know is, what you're actually saying. <laughs> there is a yeah. I'm talking about it from a kind of marketing point of view. Yes, a, I know. I'm yeah, just being the, weird. I I recently went to this uh, ten forward bar event in Los Angeles. Everyone and it was, loves it. Yeah, it's great. It was a weird mix of people of like nerdy people like me. You know, you're the Larry Nemechek's of this world. There, Star Trek people, people who work on the shows, and then just general LA people who get invited to events. You know, influencers and people who don't know anything. And I had this conversation with these people. And it's like, you could tell that they've seen Star Trek movies, but they can't remember anything. They're like, who was that guy? And this, and you know, they, they knew there was a movie with Benedict Cumberbatch in it, but they weren't sure, you know, <laughs> and I, you know, I was trying to guide them through their own, like, you know, foggy memories. And for people like that, and, and the thing is they liked all of it, right? They really liked the JJ movies, especially, but you know, something like this, especially the way the Marvel verse is working these days with the TV shows and the movies, having two Kirks and two Spocks simultaneously in kind of similar looking uniforms. If they keep the uh, design, they may want to change the design for the next Kelvin movie, actually, to make it more TOS movie era, possibly, and move hmm. away from the TOS uniforms to just kind of create a visual difference between strange new worlds. Just putting that out there to the, you know, costume designer. What do you think of that idea? Yeah. Cause the uniforms and beyond were great. I thought, but yeah, I really like them and I just really like those uniforms. So I vote for keeping those and look, nobody's, I don't think anyone's going to anyone that it, it matters. No one's going to mix it up. Like if, you know, if influencers who don't watch Star Trek mix it up, I don't, that doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. So I, guess. I don't I guess. really think there's any concern there. I mean, one's TV, one's movie. It's different actors. Chris Pine is famous. I would say like Paul Wesley is not famous in the same way. I don't think there's like an issue there. Getting back to speculating as to what's going on here. And this gets to the image they released. So they release an image of him in the captain's chair, total, you know, just looks like Captain Kirk. Um, on the bridge of the Enterprise, although the kind of background was a little fuzzy, so it could have been a redress of another ship. And he's got the same insignia as we see Pike and all the others. But in the pictures of him on the streets of Toronto, and there are multiple pictures of him, because as you were pointing out, it's like he showed up in Times Square, essentially. <laughs> you know, there's Oh, yeah, you could see all these pe these pedestrians just standing around in their winter garb in the background. Yeah. He was taking selfies with people. So, you know, yeah. it was... It was there was a lot of people around, 
And he was wearing a different badge, whereas Christina Chong was wearing the Enterprise badge. And as we know, although Discovery didn't do this, but in TOS era, every ship and Starbases each had their own badge, um, which was calling back to NASA. Each mission had their own badge. So that was kind of a tradition that by next generation era, they said was way too complicated. Everyone wear the same badge. Yeah. But he was still had his captain stripes with the different badge. So it could be a different universe, Kirk, maybe, you know, who's a captain of a different ship or there's something going on here is what I'm saying. It's not straightforward. This could be a flash forward situation. I don't know. You know, I guess my point is that I'm pretty sure he's not Lieutenant Kirk from this timeline. I think something timey wimey universe, universe weirdo thing is happening. Um, whether again getting back to is it worth it to jump through all those hoops just to get kirk on the show i don't know but you know i i think they're going to jump through the hoops well i hope i'm less optimistic than you are like of course i'm still going to watch the show of course i'm still going to try to enjoy it but i'm ner- i'm more nervous about it now than i was before i would love to be proven wrong so I'm not looking for something that backs up my worldview. I'm hoping that I see it and go, oh, well, that's what a, that's a cool idea. But I have to say, I mean, I was nervous about the JJ movies. And when I went to the first one, I thought, you know what? That's a really legit, interesting take on what if things had gone differently. But think back to the not very good Discovery season one finale when the Enterprise shows up. I was mad. <laughs> But what do we get? We got Pike and Spock and number one, and it kind of worked out. And, you know, we didn't think that they would ever do it. And we're like, oh, God, they couldn't help themselves. Yeah. Um. So maybe there's a way, you know. So, but I, I'm not going to worry about that until 2023. Yeah. I, I'm, I looking mean- <laughs> for, I'm looking forward to season two, season one of Strange New Worlds, which starts in May. And I'm going to focus on that. And I'll let season two take care of itself next year we got enough stuff to worry about um that that being said there is something in 2023 that i I am thinking about and that again is the next kelvin verse movie and we have a few updates on that right like anytime any of the cast members are out there doing interviews for any of their other projects reporters are asking them so what have you heard what's the plan what do you know and so last week we were talking about Zoe. This week we're talking about Chris. He did a whole bunch of you know little red carpet interviews while he was promoting his new spy movie. And he said similar things to Zoe. You know, very excited. Can't wait to get the gang back together. It'll honor Anton if we, you know, did the movie. I haven't seen a script, but I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, he's saying all the right things. I mean, he's even getting to the point. You know, he's he's talking about how he, he wants to meet Matt Shackman. He hasn't met him. He's the director. He even got into the details of how he wants the movie to shoot in L.A. I don't know if that's just more convenient for him because he lives in L.A. Because he was kind of talking about how a lot of movies aren't shooting in L.A. anymore. And I think he wants to support the L.A. film community. You know, he was even talking about how the movie should get tax breaks. So he's already down to that level of let's do it. Let's shoot it in LA. Right. Now, Carl Urban had his opportunity when he's promoting the boys um, at South by Southwest. So he said all the same things. I'm excited. Love hanging out with those guys. It's great. Can't wait. Yeah. It should be great. Should be fun. And then they talked about filming. (laughs) 
And it's like, well, I, I'm booked for the rest of the year, you know. So on the next season of The Boys. And they filmed that in Toronto. That's a wrinkle. You know, that's a complication. It's not, it doesn't mean they can't make it work. You know, I think Zachary was still on Heroes when they did one. Zoe was working on Avatar. You know, Shatner was working on TJ Hooker back in the day. There are ways to make it work. If they were shooting in L.A. and he was in Toronto, that makes it more difficult. It does. It's a long flight and it's a time difference. You, you'd you need both productions to really be willing to work together and map out their schedules together, which is tough. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times, I, I mean, a lot of these places are very willing to give it a shot and lots of actors who are on series as a regular even as a star will go do movies and they find ways to make it work but it's it's definitely tricky and you need everyone to be really willing to cooperate i mean paramount has a pretty good relationship with amazon um you know they do sell them a lot of content including star trek picard and lower decks so maybe they'll make it work so basically everything looks good for the movie we're now in the you know the people signing contracts finishing the latest draft of the script logistics of schedules phase which means you know it still may not start shooting this fall which means it may not meet their release date but i don't think we're back in the this things could just fall apart and not happen phase anymore i think we're back into maybe they don't maybe it's a 2024 movie instead of a 2023 movie right i mean a lot of movies are shifting around with their dates anyway I mean, the 2009 movie was a 2008. I still have a teaser poster that says 2008. Ooh, um, cool. They moved it, actually, because Paramount liked it so much they thought it would work better in the summer. Now, things have changed where the holiday film season is now just as good for big action tent poles. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, we still haven't heard from uh, Simon Pegg, even though he had already kind of indicated he was just waiting for J.J. Quinto and... Chris Pine have been seen hanging out together, both in L.A. a few weeks ago and in New York last week. But, you know, he has. They didn't come over. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) They should. I know. Come on. Nothing from John Cho. But again, this is not like, you know, people think that Chris Pine, you know, searched out the microphones. You know, it's just that he. he, (laughs) No. Yeah. We hear from them when they're doing something else. So if Chris Pine, you know, walked down the red carpet, six people asked him about Star Trek. That's how that works. Yeah. So I think those are the big news stories, but we need to get into our reviews. This is our last week for a little while where we have to do two full hour long dramatic episodes of Star Trek, which is exciting and terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we should get into Star Trek Picard. Make it so. Make it so, damn it. Picard episode three of season two called Assimilation. Yeah. What's your big picture view of this episode? I thought it was good. Not great like the first two. Still solid. It's kind of lots of little episodes this time. Yeah. Instead of, you know, every, <laughs> all the previous two were kind of one big story. This, you know, first you, the first act is all the escape. And then you've got these other little stories happening that all add up to something. So it still feels like a complete episode, I feel. But we're now kind of diverging into a new world, literally, now that they've traveled back in time. Yeah, I feel like now we can get going. Like there's that's three episodes of setup in a way. And now I'm like, all right, let's get rolling on this. 
now that we're done with that. I mean, it was a mix too of like lots of fast paced action, lots of great small moments. But yeah, overall, by the end, I was just a little impatient to just, you know, get on with it. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I mean, Akiva has implied that much of the rest of the season is L.A., you know. Yeah. And remember, the first teaser poster was a shot of the Los Angeles freeway network uh, shaped as a Starfleet logo. So, you know, I think the back half of this episode is kind of what we're going to get for a while now. Right. But with more focus. I mean, I'm waiting for because this is more they're just getting the lay of the land, trying to figure out how do we find this thing, trying to now they still have to reunite and get themselves back together. And then the whole time there's all this crazy stuff going on the ship. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Just an interesting note is this episode is directed by Leah Thompson. Yeah. Veteran actress. And now veteran director, she does a lot. Yeah, she started maybe in the early 2000s to direct, but she still acts. And even though she she worked as an actress, actually, on a, on a Kurtzman production called Scorpion a while back, but apparently the connection here, that's not the connection. The connection is, of course, Terry Metalis, the showrunner, who is a giant Back to the Future nerd. And so that's... That's how that happened. And also knows a good director when he sees one. Sure, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> he but wouldn't just hire her for that. Just No, saying. no. But I'm but sure it was extra fun for him to bring absolutely. her board. Yeah. And I thought she did a great job. Everything yeah. looked great. Yeah, the escape was fun. It was all the cliffhanger and this picked up right after that with the evil husband guy. Who, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, I am I loved how he said, what's my first name? Like, he knew he knew. It, and you know what? I have to say, like, in everything I've ever seen where someone's spouse gets replaced, you're like, there, you know, you would know. Like, I know when something's bothering my husband that he's not talking about. Like, you can tell all those shifts. So the fact that, yes, of course he knew. He knew she wasn't acting like the way she was from the get go. And he's been giving her looks for a while in the previous episode. So I like that too. In a future where you've got you know, clones and changelings and multiple universes. Every time your spouse starts acting weird, you're probably going, okay, wait, is that a changeling? Yeah. <laughs> is that, what's going on? Is, is, is my wife from the mirror universe? You know, oh, so. no. oh, not again. No, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this and the previous episode, there was a, a lot of brutality on the part of our heroes. I mean, they were vaporizing people yeah. and, you know, in the last episode, Elnor was killing people. Killing, with, yeah. With the, because for some reason, someone decided the Starfleet badge in the evil universe works as a knife. Sure. Which seems like <laughs> to have something that sharp on your chest, you're probably like cutting your left arm all the time. You know, <laughs> as you like, as you drink a, drink a cup of coffee <laughs> and you slice open your wrist. <laughs> but maybe it struck me more this time, even though there was more killing last time, but I'm like, you know, they, they're almost being affected by the dark universe. They are fitting in by being just as brutal as, you know, to dispatch the bad guys. As well, well, and not that they stop to think about it or have a talk about it, but obviously to them, this timeline's not going to exist anyway. Like that's their plan. Their goal is to get the hell out of there. So in a way it almost doesn't count. Yeah, depending on when they reset themselves to. Right. But yes. I mean, it's a lot. It's headcanon. Like that I've decided that they decided that. <laughs> right. But 
but they did. And for story purposes, obviously, they didn't want a bunch of prisoners on the ship constantly asking what's going on. Sure. But they, <laughs> you know, they wiped out, well, well, they, they wiped out one ship. And then when the queen jostled oh, yeah. loose and plugged herself in, she easily took care of the other two. And uh, there's little subtle things like the torpedoes. When she takes over the ship, the torpedoes are now green because <laughs> it's because she's a Borg. Because she's and a Borg, they're very fashion conscious. The Borg, that it's it's all part of their branding. They're like, hey, we're you know we're into green, you know. Yeah, so. that's their that's their color, and don't copy them. Don't <laughs> exactly. put it on your t-shirts. <laughs> exactly. I want to talk about the Queen for a minute because first of all, Annie Worsing is so incredible with her small expressions and the look in her eye and her smooth tone and all of that. But I also think like, how do you make that the Borg queen in first contact when she comes down and slides into her body, it's such a powerful, visual, visceral, terrifying scene. And how do you, you know, kick that up a notch? I don't know. Have her crawling, dragging herself across the floor with no legs. I thought was pretty impressive. She's more intimidating than First Contact because obviously in First Contact, there was almost a, an element of fun to her, a flirtatious well, element, obviously. She was, seduction was a big yeah. part of that story. But she hasn't been as scary in, you know, post First Contact, pre Star Trek Picard as she is now. Like this queen is really scary. Yeah, because on Voyager, the queen was just kind of political and manipulative but yeah not not as no, terrifying we, we felt like she and jane we were kind of matched yeah so and that was the point of all that you know as yeah. they fought over their child seven so when the stakes were also personal and this is just this is just really scary man like this is the stuff of nightmares all that fun action you know so the queen plugged herself in and they do the time travel like I, i'm not a huge i mean doing weird stuff while they're going back in time i mean they did it in star trek 4 the voyage home where they the, the weird kind of their faces, <laughs> the faces coming out of the, the slow mo yeah. yeah and so this time they did the weird close-ups where, where tears were running backwards i don't know it just it I'm like, just don't do it. Just do it fast and get it over with. Because it always looks hokey. And yeah, it was a tribute, clearly. But yeah, it didn't work the first time. So maybe it wasn't the right thing to pick as a tribute. But I thought the visual effects of them going through the sun and the warp. And I thought that all looked great. There was some nice subtle stuff when they show up at Earth. Because they're like, you know, the, the chronometer's not working. Nothing's working on the ship. So how do they tell? And... No moon colony. There was something more subtle. Gerardi, you know, first you notice, you know, the ozone and the pollution, of course. Of but course. then she said no radiation. And that's very important because they're saying this is before. They they, they have yet to mention World War Three. So that was a subtle because World War Three for in Star Trek history actually starts in 2026, according to canon although maybe they could fudge that but it is weird how no one's mentioned world war three because it's such an important point right it, and it's it, and it, it sets up a series of events that eventually leads to first contact which is obviously the most important date in star trek history perhaps so that's like our first mention of world war three and i'm just wondering if that's going to be a factor this season of 
do they need to make sure World War Three still happens? Right. Because there was yeah. no mention in the other timeline, but you get the impression, perhaps, that it never happened. I almost feel like they would have mentioned it, you know, telegraphed it a little, if that was going to be a big discussion point over the season. But I don't know. It's still so early. Then we have the death of Elnor, and I, I'm of two minds of this. I thought the death scene was great. I think Evan did a really good job. I thought Michelle did a really great job. Like, I wrote down, I'm crying, and I don't even really like Elnor. <laughs> <laughs> but I was crying. Like, that was a big deal. She sold it, and he was great. But through that whole thing, and through this whole episode, they set up this kind of strange dynamic where Rafi's the only one who cares about Elnor and no one else kind of gives a shit. And I felt that was weird. I don't know. I didn't get that Picard didn't give a shit. I got that because he asked about him and the look on his face. But he is, I mean, this is the Picard we've always loved, right? That he knows, as, as he said to Laris earlier, like some parts of him have to wait. And right now he knows what they have to do and has to be focused on that. And he doesn't have time. And I really got that, that that's the man we've known for so long. That's who he is. Certainly there's an element of him picking apart a dead Borg and saying, oh, that's Ensign Lynch, you know, like, you know, that, that, that he's just moving through it because he's got to move through it. He has to. And he's the closest he's, he knows what's going on better than anybody else. And it might be Rios to ship, but it doesn't matter. He's in command of this whole operation anyway but yeah everybody else seemed to be relatively unaffected but rafi was super angry at picard <laughs> you know that that's the thing it's it's rafi was acting like he didn't care and she was acting very emotionally you know in last episode they were all buddy buddy again and it, picard's known elnor longer than her but i guess they got closer while they were at the academy i don't know it just seemed like yeah it. i definitely got that they've been closer because she was talking about protecting him and how his his absolute candor is going to get his ass kicked or something like that so but i loved when she when he says rafi i know what you're feeling and she says i promise you don't well she says she's lost respect for his authority or 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 leadership I mean, it, it, you know, she was hitting him below the belt, I felt. It just seemed like I get what they were going for, but – and this is kind of something that happens a lot in this episode, which is I see what they're doing here, but they're just turning it up a little too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could have scaled it back a little. But I, I, I guess they're just trying to create more dramatic tension between Rafi, who now seems kind of obsessed, like, let's get the hell out of here and let's save Elnor by – you know, turning back time again. And, uh, you know, but she's acting irrational. She's like, let's, let's get off the ship now, you know, and it, you know, d no need to plan for anything. Let's just do it. Yeah. I mean, they did solve her problems pretty, you know, off stage basically. So that suddenly everything's good and she's fine and adjusted and happy. So maybe this was all just still there. Shall we talk about the Seven and Rafi adventure in Los Angeles? What did you think of that classic fish out of water Star Trek thing? So, I mean, look, I liked the way that they they set up their landings. Like, like Seven immediately is seen as a superhero right. by a, a kid who's not scared of her. And this is obviously going to be a big part of this season because they've been building it up that Seven is used to people being afraid of her. She's used to people... Not knowing, not 
even knowing like what she is maybe, or knowing she's a Borg and just being scared. So now she's going to experience life without that for the first time. Here's what I think they're going for, which is Seven shows up, beautiful blonde woman, superhero in a nice park, right? Yeah. shows up, homeless, camp, homeless yeah. camp, black woman, <laughs> immediately the victim of a crime. <laughs> like, well, not seconds, the victim. Like she and she turns it around in one second. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But the point is, is that which is, by the way, I live in L.A. and you know we definitely have a homeless problem. But the homeless aren't running around with guns, mugging people left and right. You know, no. They, but it's nonetheless they were definitely making a point of yes. how they are experiencing contradictions. Which Rafi mentions that, that we live in contradictory times. Like there's mm-hmm. beauty, there's beauty to this. And there's a dark side, absolutely. And certainly when you add in the Rios thing, I think they're trying to make a point about white privilege, about immigration and xenophobia and, you know, racism. I feel like it wouldn't be Star Trek if they didn't do those things. Yeah, I did kind of like their story because it's setting up some interesting dynamics, both on their romance, on Seven kind of likes it in 2024. Uh, Rafi kind of hates it in 2024. Yeah, at one point, Rafi says, why don't you in t- 2024 get a room? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's in a way jealous of 2024. She is. Well, she's mad. She starts by saying, you're killing it 2024. And then, yeah. you know, and then it's just dismayed by how easy things are for Seven, which is exactly making the point that you've been talking about. I mean, Seven's just having a ball. She's like bluffing her way through the guard and the guard is totally enamored by her. Right. They were in Wilshire Tower, by the way, which is actually the largest, tallest building in Los Angeles. I kept on looking out for the Chrono Works building, but I didn't see it. (laughs) Damn it. I know it's actually, it should should, be there. It should be there, but uh, um, it's not. So... um, (laughs) that would be i mean i almost like like why wouldn't they you know just for fun i kind of just want them to see like ed bagley on the news or something (laughs) you know like that would be cool or people just walking around in chronoworks t-shirts yeah which which exist by the way and i have two of them (laughs) (laughs) we did get some plot stuff there subtle plot stuff but important so they're looking for the watcher because the queen says find the watcher and we got a note that it could be around MacArthur Park. If you look at some of the trailers, I think the people with the white eyes, I think that was in shot in MacArthur Park. That may be where the Watcher is. So just to be clear, because there were a couple of things going on. So then, so they thought they saw something near MacArthur Park. And then when they pick up on Rios's com badge, that's something else, right? Yeah, and they could tell the right. difference because they're looking for an, quote, alien signal, whatever right. that means. But something that doesn't belong in the 21st century. And then because you noticed it was a different icon on her tricorder. Right. There was an even more subtle clue as to what's coming this season, which was when she shows up at the homeless camp, which there is an Easter egg here where you see the homeless area is called a sanctuary district, which obviously comes from the episode past tense from ds9 and i mean this opens up a a bit of a weird possibility because technically ben cisco is in san francisco in 2024 at a different sanctuary district right Um, not in la yeah exactly anyway the subtler clue was against a wall 
um, there was a billboard for something called the Europa Project. And this is going to be important, we think, because in the trailers, we see a shot of Q wearing a coat with a Europa Project badge on it, some NASA project. It looks like there is a real Europa project that NASA is planning for 2024 to launch. But what is that? Do you know what it is? It's a mission to put something in orbit, but it's unmanned. It's robotic. And whatever this is on the picture on the wall, it, it looked like a landing on Europa, manned landing, which is something that, you know, is at least a couple decades away in reality. Um, right. So, uh, they, you know, we still haven't landed on Mars and Europa is orbiting Jupiter. So, you know, that's way far away. So this, I think, is going to be important at some point, but we don't exactly know what it is. But I, I do feel like we should keep an eye out. It, it But the, if you looked closely, there was a tagline it said new interplanetary explorers. Then the tagline was to boldly go. So oh. <laughs> I, they, I wish they wouldn't do that. Exactly. I don't need them to do that. There's so many, there are so many fantastic Easter eggs and little moments and connections that work so well or are just fun, which I get. But, but when they start playing with sort of the like episode titles and, opening narration and marketing talk (laughs) yeah i i step it's it takes you out of the story for a minute so you know it's nice that that seven and ravi landed so well ultimately but poor rios like doesn't even get to you know be standing he's just falling and then (laughs) boom down to the sidewalk blood that's it he's done but lucky for him he happened to be somewhere where there's a clinic that tries to help him out have we seen that before in Star Trek? Because the, the transport was obviously problematic because they're running out of power in the ship. But they often say something like, you know, if we screw up, we'll transport you into the middle of a wall. But right. I, you know, I think it was kind of smart to say, yeah, you know, if the transporter's not working right, it it might transport you 20 feet in the air, which is bad news. Yeah, it was well done, though. It was like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> that whole thing in the clinic, I thought, was... Because I think we're going to see more of the Teresa character. Oh, yeah. I think they're setting up a little bit of an Edith Keeler situation here with Rios and her. What do you think? Could be. That could be. I mean, they're obviously going to connect. Because yeah. just look at them. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, the chemistry's there. She is tough. She is smart. She doesn't take his crap. So, Which isn't really his crap. It's just him trying to be who he has to be. But... I think so. What's actually what struck me there was, and this is just because food, I connect with food, but he tasted those cookies like he'd never had real peanut butter in his life. And I found that upsetting. Yeah, He said real peanut butter as if it didn't exist, but maybe he means because he's always had replicated and he's like, these were actually baked and it's possible he never has. He was freaking out about how good those cookies were. Yeah. Well, As he was I playing would. it up for the kid, though, you know, it was. It was yeah, he was. But, but he was also just like genuinely 
uh, sorry, as a peanut butter freak, a future without real peanut butter is very upsetting to think about. It was nice to see Latino representation, people speaking Spanish naturally. Yeah. Um, we haven't seen enough of that in Star Trek. You know, if you think about how much of the pop and here in Los Angeles, it's, you know, the, it, everywhere, you know, the, the, I speak a little Spanish. If you live in L.A., you speak a little Spanish. You know, that's just the way life is here. Although the whole ice raid thing was a little, again, a little heavy handed, but they were making an important point. Which is that it's just people going about their lives, you know, so that was the point. I thought it was well made. There was one other moment in that scene that I thought was fun where she says to her son, finish your homework or no Rick and Morty, which I thought was a nice little nod to Mike McMahon. It was. And now Rick and Morty is canon. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the, it was just sweet, too. It was nice to do. There, there's one thing about Rios in this episode and in the last episode, which is he's a Starfleet captain. He's the captain of the Stargazer. He should be obsessed about getting back to the Stargazer, about getting back to his first officer. And all those we saw all those lovely people on his ship fighting the Borg. And if you think, you know, imagine Janeway or Picard or Kirk. In this situation, they would be talking about their, you know, their Enterprise, the USS Voyager, getting back to their crew, and that would be all they care about. Yeah, Kirk would be obsessed. Like, before he'd be willing to even accept this new thing, he'd be saying, where's my ship, where's my ship, where's my ship? And he's never even mentioned the word Stargazer. Well, I kind of think that maybe this is something like Picard is sort of used to this crazy stuff. And seven, maybe a little bit, but the others I feel like are just utterly overwhelmed because they've never had to deal with something at this where time changes. He he needs to show some love for his poor, dead, blown up crew members and getting them back. Because the obsession here seems to be all about Elnor, but there's a there's a whole bunch of dead people on the um and, and that whole fleet, you know, the Excelsior right. and all the others. Okay, but the big story obviously is still back on La Serena. You know, the, this kind of crazy idea of plugging Agnes into the Queen to <sighs> it, it's not clear what she was doing. She had to go into the Queen's brain to fix the Queen. Right. Um, there was a little readout on that Picard was holding in his hand. I think it said like cognitive ability percentage. It was a little on the nose. Um that somehow <laughs> he could just you know, say, oh, she's at 97%. There you go. Right. Cool. Uh, you know, so we learned some new things about assimilation, perhaps. You know, Picard said it takes hours to assimilate yeah, someone. That I didn't understand at all because I don't think it's ever taken hours. No, the people get. It seems pretty it, instantaneous. In this case, maybe not because apparently she doesn't have nanobots. Because if she had nanobots, it doesn't matter if you're plugged in or not. Once, you know, once they're in your system, you're infected. So we're assuming, based on the previous episode, that even though she was plugged into the Queen, the Queen was not injecting her with Borg nanobots. Right. Although I think at some point, I think maybe there is some kind of something going on later because oh. we do see the you know Agnes in some trailers looking. The, yeah, this is not the end of their connection. They're no. not done. <laughs> I like how the queen says she was impressed. Yes. So, and mentions how dangerous that is. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, you know, tinfoil hat, I'm just going to skip right to it. Uh, Agnes is moving high on my list for who's under the uh, mask. Yeah, same. 
That's yeah, not even no. tinfoil hat. You can wear a regular hat and talk yeah. about that one. So the, 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 that Agnes becomes the Borg queen. But here's, here's, here's my – the little cap of my tinfoil hat is she's a nice Borg queen kind of. Like she's a new kind of friendlier Borg queen even right. though well, she almost destroys the Stargazer. It's because somehow she's like very impolite, but she was really trying to help them or something. Right. And it just didn't work out well. Yeah, maybe Agnes's personality infects the Borg somehow. Who knows? But she was so good. Yeah. Oh my Allison God. Pill in this whole thing was amazing going through her various subconscious and, and going from anger to sadness to, you know, I mean, she's such a good actress. She really she's is. so great. I thought she played it so well, so believable, so real. And all the emotional states were so intense and, and personal. And you felt like you were sort of invading her private inner life. And Picard's trying to be respectful about the whole thing. But it was really intense and really well done. Between her and Annie Wershink, those they were the two MVPs of this episode for me, for sure. You know, I was kind of surprised that she came out and she had tricked the queen and stolen the data and filed it under shit I stole from the queen or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I didn't understand. She said she doesn't have the, she has the location of the watcher, but not the time. But she says she thinks she can get it without plugging back in. So I don't understand that. Like it's, she's going to remember it later. I don't yeah, understand that. Yeah, I guess that. so. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that was a little. <laughs> it's a little convenient. Well, exactly. It's like, well, we can't have, we can't give the characters all this information all at once. We need to, because we've got six episodes to burn in LA. Right. <laughs> um, I assume next episode we're going to meet the Watcher, but we won't know the important when thing. Right. Is. By the way, just let's just skip ahead. What are your who are your Watcher candidates? I mean, I feel like it's not going to be Guinan because it's too obvious. Yeah, it's so obvious it's Guinan. It can't be. It but can't I be would Guinan. not be surprised if it is. Um, but it just feels like that's so obvious. It also feels very fringe, which I've been watching and keep talking about. But, you know, there's all these observers in fringe. So you, so you think it's a guy <laughs> without eyebrows? <laughs> it's a bald guy <laughs> with a hat. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, we know there's well, some... Well, Kurtzman, like... you know, was fringe. Yes. So, yeah, exactly. I was thinking maybe Laris based on some of the trailer stuff that we've seen. The human Laris or yes. the human, a human version of Laris. Yeah. She's like a thing on her head and the white eyes and the whole all kinds of stuff going on. So yeah. that kind of makes sense. It could be data, like a version of data. Oh, they promise no more data. I mean, I don't want to sound like I hate data because I love data. I mean, data's, data's, head, done. data's head is in that cave but maybe they pulled the head out of the cave that they're gonna put it back oh, <laughs> later <laughs> so it's just gonna be his head attached to like a you know well, a, we've a seen laptop. that before too we've seen that before was it <laughs> it's disaster right doesn't Riker yeah. have to take his head and just yeah <laughs> so that was probably the strongest part of the episode the whole queen gerardi picard exploration on the ship yeah so is there anything else from the episode that popped out to you? Yeah, I mean, I thought there was a great moment early on where sort of Rio spells out, I don't have the exact line, but he spells out the ridiculousness of their situation and what their plan is. 
you know, we're traveling, we're going to do this, and we're getting it all sounds nuts. And Picard's like, mm hmm, that's what we're doing. And I was like, that is such a beautiful Star Trek moment. Like, it's the kind of McCoy would have always been the one to say, what do you mean? We're going to do this, this, and Kirk's always like, yep. So <laughs> I thought that was a very no a nice nod to classic Trek. I liked that for sure. I also think this one, this episode had a lot of really great lines in it, like really strong dialogue moments where you'd stop and just want to jot something down. So I give them credit for that. And I also really like their choice of taking songs that you are more familiar with by one artist and having someone else having them playing covers, basically. Right. Like you're talking about the California Dream. And I did California like the, the establishing of Los Angeles, which you have yeah. to do. So you run through all the, I mean, I live here, so I knew what everything was. But I think any, anyone looking at that goes, yeah, they're in L.A. But then the, the point about that music, I think, is that it's a familiar song by a different artist. Yeah. So yeah. it's telling you, it's very telling. Like, yep, this is L.A., but it's not the L.A. that you know. Something we haven't talked about at all is the super brief Q pop-in. Oh, Yeah. So I assume that only Picard heard that, right? Because everything kind of got quieter and Yeah, I, I feel like he froze time, had a little chat with Picard, or he's invisible to everyone else. It's unclear. But yeah, it's 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 Q time. It's Q. You know, Q is haunting Picard. He said, this is, you know, in the middle of a battle, this is the only kind of life you understand. Shall we see what else has been lost in the wake of your fear? And in the last episode, he talked about Picard's fear as well. Right. And th this all gets into what does this have to do with Picard and his right. fear? Like, what does 2024, you know, that I still can't connect those dots. I don't see a personal connection to Picard, even though Delancey and everyone has said this is all personal to Picard. Right. They're, they're not putting humanity on trial for something you know, for us ruining the environment or something in the 2020s. This is this is something specific to him. And Delancey has talked about how, you know, this is a, a gift he's giving Picard. He's trying to help him right. by ch changing the timeline. So it's very curious. I'm intrigued, but I, you know, the, the tin hat is not working. I just am getting nothing. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get the signals and they're not coming through. Well, again, even if you go back to like the moment where Q changed everything, like Picard ordering self-destruct was honestly the right choice, right? Like we can say, oh, he, you know, what are you supposed to do? A Borg queen shows up out of nowhere, plugs into your ship and connects to the rest of the fleet. What should you do? It's a tough call. I mean, Seven said, you'd got to do it. We can't let her have an armada. Girardi said, maybe this is our only chance for peace. So they were the devil and the angel, right? And he went with Seven, kill the queen, destroy the ship. And there was plenty of evidence to back Seven up. Right. Only that the one piece was that the queen was, that the everyone was being stunned and not killed. And there's like the weird juxtaposition of what the queen was saying and what she was doing. Because <laughs> right. she was saying, basically, you know, I come in peace. I want to join the Federation. Um, you know, if you just read her dialogue, it's like she seems pretty nice these days. Um, <laughs> Except for, you know. now I need power. But I mean, let's let's go to your Agnes theory for a minute because it's a good theory. But if, of course, if she'd revealed her face, 
and we'd seen that it was Agnes, they would have treated her completely differently. So that seems like a bad move strategically. Right. And why wouldn't she just do that? Like she can't just be hiding her face for the viewers. There has to be a reason she's hiding her face within the story. If there is a face under there, I mean, that, that, that mask was really interesting. It had this kind of clockwork stuff going on. You know, I mean, maybe it's a Darth Vader situation where she needs it to survive. It's unclear. You know, all of this is beautifully intriguing, but, yeah, not, you know, thankfully, you know, it's not obvious where they're going with it because sometimes it's really obvious where they're going with something. And it's not frustrating. I'm like, all right, take me on this ride. And it I'm still could be mom, right? Mm-hmm. No, I think um, that, we have a couple of good candidates for who it yeah, is. Yeah, it could be Seven. Yep. It's Soji. That's true. There you go. <laughs> Sin. Um, or one of Soji's many sisters. Right. Identical sisters. Indeed. <laughs> one she doesn't even know exists. Right. It's notable that Issa Brionis, not in this episode, not credited. Yep. That's two in a row, right? Because she wasn't in the previous episode at all. Yeah, she was only in the first one. So it's time for us to switch from Los Angeles in the 21st century to the 32nd century and Star Trek Discovery season finale. Yeah, it's a big one. Why don't you start us off with your high level thoughts on the season (laughs) finale coming home? So it's the usual mix. So I I have to say, if I had to pick one word, it would be meh. (laughs) which is sort of sad discovery isn't good at season finales i'm just gonna say that so it wasn't the worst season finale what worked for me the best was the emotions of michael and book especially michael what worked for me the least was that i thought the pacing was kind of slow and there were some strange i thought setups that weren't fulfilled and missed opportunities and i think they had a big overall challenge Anyway, with with the, you know, we got the wonderful drama of we're finally seeing these aliens, but it's a, when the solution is they just agree to stop, which is great and Star Trek-y, it's still a little anticlimactic. <laughs> I agree generally with what you say. It wasn't a bad episode. It no. It had a lot of good parts to it. It wasn't a great episode by any means. It was just fine. It was too long, even though, like, there were yeah, things I thought they could have tightened up. Lots of stuff could have been tightened up. You know, but they wanted to tie up everything in a bow, um, make sure that they covered, they had lots of little character beats for every little story that's been going all season, little character stories like with Stamets and with Tarina and, you know, all, all of that stuff. So they gave everyone little little moments. In general, it's like they were playing it safe. Everything was yeah. down mm-hmm. the middle. They didn't take any risks. You know, we put out this, our predictions thing, you know, because... We were kind of hoping they did some crazy stuff, you know? Yeah, we took some wild swings in those predictions. (laughs) And, like, and and Harai didn't even snack. I mean... (laughs) Yeah, which we thought was an easy prediction. That was a joke prediction. No snacking for Harai, you know? And not that I will ever criticize someone for not doing what we guessed, but the point was we we were hoping for them to shake things up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was no big surprises. Yeah, Like, we didn't put... Earth is going to rejoin the Federation in our on our list because we've been saying that on the podcast all season long. It's like, well, yep, you know, they're going to eventually Earth's going to join probably by the end of the season. And that will be the end of this. We've rebuilt the Federation arc. Right. Um, you know, so, every, you know, everything just kind of went apace. 
And but there was a lot of fun along the way, of course, seeing Tilly was a lot of fun. I'm so glad. I just I really they have a hole where Tilly used to be. So it was great to have her back. She didn't get to do lots of her telly stuff. You know, obviously she's now in charge of people. So we've seen a shift in her that makes sense as a character, but is slightly less fun to watch. And I thought there were some really good performances. I thought Sean Doyle was, this was, you know, his best episode. David Ajala was really strong in this, as was Sonequa. Sonequa's my MVP for this one, because... Oh my God. I just, I, the emotional stuff when she, I mean, even when I was sitting there hope thinking, okay, book can still come back, book can still come back because of the way he went. Um, I was still, I was sobbing every single time I watched it, like sobbing. I mean, she's so good at, she conveys so much with her body and her face. And I feel like she's very good at conveying conflict that she's grieving, she's freaking out, she's about to lose it, but she can't because she's the captain and she has to move forward. And I just, I get all of that without her saying it. People say, oh, she's always crying. She really hasn't cried all season. She isn't. And she's, she, she nailed it. I mean, she totally had me. Those were my, my the most impactful scenes for me in the whole thing. When it looked like Book was going to die, um, although I have to admit, I kind of guessed that he didn't well because of i think also because of how it it wasn't done in a way that you thought oh he couldn't have survived that you know she broke down and then someone said you know there's one of the orbs is coming and she rallied and she became so for a moment she was a girlfriend yeah and then she became a captain like and I mean, relic was like her best friend for that moment Right? Yeah. Like, came and put her hand on her shoulder, and Michael grabs her hand. I'm getting emotional thinking about it now. I really love that stuff. I thought it was great. And so she says, let's go finish this very good captaining, which I... So I think she's, you know, going back to the season, I think she's shown that she's a good captain. I think it was a good move for them for season four to make her captain, and I think it's worked in general for the season. Yep. And that was kind of the perfect example of that yeah i mean i had to i didn't you know i watched it several times and i i did i was like i don't know if i have it in me to watch that scene again right now like because <laughs> it was so powerful i i think some of my favorite stuff was the stuff on book's ship you know because you you had the dynamic with book and reno and the fun with the um you know the cat door and tig is always great um, so dry and you know again i think with, it's interesting what they did with tarka here because they could have just had him completely go full evil right and they they pulled it back and we kind of saw the error of his ways in the end i don't know if he saw the error of his ways i think that if they said to him would you do it again the same way the answer would have been yes I think what we saw more than that was that he was he was more broken than we realized. Well, there was that scene where he cried and yeah. he said that Oros, his boyfriend, would have stopped him. Like, you right. know, so he, he he's self-aware. He's like, I'm a megalomaniac. I'm, you know, I'm a mad scientist. I I need him to complete me and without him 
to stop me. You know, that's why I did this. And um, he's blaming himself, but he's, you know, aware of it. And he apologized to book saying, I can't stop it. Like, so I thought he was saying I would stop it now if I could, but I can't. And he accepted the fact that um, Indoye who volunteered to kill them um, basically, (laughs) by the way, I thought, I think she should have died. Um, I know. I a hundred percent think she should have died, which is a terrible thing to say. Let her sacrifice herself. Right. Plus, I mean, about that scene, all this talk at this dramatic talk about how it's a suicide mission and then it's not. I thought getting back to our, you know, our predictions, you know, someone's not going to make it. And, you know, we were saying bridge crew looks good, but there was that moment when basically said the only way to stop it is to send in a shuttle. Can't use autopilot. We need a good pilot. And Detmer stood up. And at that moment, I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to kill Detmer. And I thought, wow, that's ballsy. So I knew they wouldn't kill Detmer. But so then, but I was like, oh, I can't believe they're going to make her go do this. And then when Ndoye stepped up and said she'd do it, then I thought, oh, she'll be the one who gets it. And that kind of makes sense. She betrayed them all. Mm Mm-hmm. Good for her at the beginning because Michael and I like this where Michael's like immediately knew it was one of the delegates yep. who ratted them out and he she was going to not the Ferengi guy who doesn't move but <laughs> <laughs> it was so good for Nindoye to just say I did it uh, and once she realized that Tark had been lying to her and you know then she kind of understood well, she made a mistake she realized she'd been kind of stupid. Because yeah. Michael's like, you know, was that before or after Tarka took him hostage? <laughs> um, but what I the, what I did like was that she owned it immediately and that she said, listen, these are my reasons. And they, they were legit reasons. But getting back to Tarka, I feel that he I, redeemed is not the right word, but he was semi redeemed, you know, that they didn't. Because if you think about all of the you know, past season finales. They they always have a bad guy. And the bad guy turns out generally be mustache twirling, you know, or you know, not just season fellas, but we've had you know Lorca who goes full evil, right? Kor was you know Klingon also kind of full evil during the war. Obviously Control who became Leland, Leland. super evil. And uh, Osira, you know Lamely evil. Yep. Lamely evil. <laughs> So I did appreciate that this time they're like, you know, things are more nuanced. People, yeah, you know, people act out of fear and desperation and, and grief. And I, I thought that was a good thing they did through this. You know, Book was acting out of grief. Tarka was acting out of grief. And Doe was acting out of a desire to protect her planet. And she's a general. And that's what generals do. Yeah. So all of that stuff I thought was good because it also shows you don't dismiss people just because they have a different point of view from yours. The weird thing was that, even though this was also on our list of predictions, was they left the door open for him to survive. Yeah. So at the end where he tries to put his transporter back and, I mean, maybe it was he was just deluding himself, but, you know, they certainly left it open so that the power of impacting into the hyperfield with his mega transporter would actually make it work and he would you know go off and see oros i mean assuming oros is somewhere findable <laughs> right i mean that that was the great scene with reno when he tries to talk book into going to the other universe and he's like we can go there and there'll be another quajon and another version of your brother and your nephew and, and reno's like 
you know, it doesn't matter if they all seem exactly the same. They're, they're not our, our versions of them are all gone and we need to accept that we've all experienced loss and you've just got to let go, dude. But didn't it make you, I don't know if it made you think of this, but it made me think of the Voyager episode deadlock because in deadlock, there are two Voyagers and one of them loses a Harry Kim and a Naomi Wildman. So they send them over to the other one that's going to survive and one's going to be destroyed. Right. <laughs> so I was like, mm, you know, maybe they are the same. That's true. <laughs> I just couldn't help it. I just remembered Harry running with baby Naomi Wildman. A lot of Star Trek characters have died and been replaced. Like, yes. Miles O'Brien, actually. There was two Miles O'Brien yep. in one episode from two different timelines and one, you know, so... It's happened and it's been accepted. But I mean, her point was still a good point. It just, if, it, if there hadn't been any previous examples, that would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't occur to me at the time, but fair enough. Yeah, I mean, zooming out, the way this episode was structured and the way everything was tied up at the end and the way it ended, to me, it feels like they put this together to act as potentially a series finale yeah i felt like they didn't have the renewal yet when they did it if that's the case then ending on a cliffhanger would have been bad although you know they it took them 12 months to shoot this season or whatever forever they could have always shot it two ways like one with and one without a cliffhanger i don't think they did no, I don't think they did because they would have shown us the cliffhanger because now they know they're getting another season. They're already writing it and, you know, they're going to start shooting it in June. But they've tied up because, you know, the Gil we aren't getting the Gilligan hypothesis. I did have a moment where I thought, oh, we're going to get it because when they decided to destroy the spore drive and they're like, we're not going back on the warp drive for, you know, they were you know, they were in the Voyager situation where they're like, it's going to yeah. take decades. I I actually liked what I liked that they that that was one of the solutions that Michael realized. Yeah, we just got to do it. Can't even have a big conversation about it. That's the thing we have to do. I yeah. mean, I think she and the president had a little moment together with looks and whatever. But then it would have been Voyager. Well, but, you know, they could have done it where, you know, they aren't going home. They decide to go in the other direction or whatever. You know, the 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 point was there was a moment where it was possible they weren't going to make it back. Yep. And they yep. were cool, cool, but they would survive. They would survive, but they right. wouldn't be back at home and hanging out with Stacey Abrams, which we'll get into later. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that in a few minutes. <laughs> it feels like they've really tied everything up for the last two seasons. So the Federation is coming back together. They rattled off all the core members of the Federation, Earth, Navarre, which is Vulcan, Tellarites, Andorians, and humans are the founding members of the Federation, and they're all back together again. So notionally, problem solved, right? There's still more things to do there's species they don't know but they've solved their two-season problem of fixing the federation right wrapped up in a very precise bow <laughs> yeah yeah with this kind of vague like well you know there's things we still don't understand out there and of course you know it's star trek so they can invent a new right there's so many more people for us to meet and see and do yep yeah and spread the word and all that and and there is i, I still feel like going somewhere different like a different galaxy offers them more opportunities but uh, no they i'm sure they could find a a new thread or a new thing or a new corner of the galaxy that no one's ever been to they like forgot about or something like oh there's this whole quadrant no one ever mentioned before right I'm sure they've got that all worked out but the the point is that they ended it in a way where everything's fine now you know and this gets to the yeah. playing it safe thing 
everything was a little too fine for me, um, I thought. And I also, they have to stop with the VO that summarizes everybody's good cheer. Like it's just, there are ways to use VO that are very effective and great. Like I always think of that first season episode where Michael was going to the party. Yeah. And so you get her VO about trying to adjust. And then she goes, now I'm facing the biggest challenge, a party. And I thought that was a great use of VO. But these like summarizing how everybody's happy and over montages of things, it's just, it's it's not, not effective. This episode uses a lot of exposition dialogue, stuff that you kind of should already know. You know, just little moments like they cut back to book ship and they're and they kind of re-explain, you know, what's happening and what they need to do and what their goal is and how much energy is left. And it's like you already told us that, you know, but book and Tark are talking in talking in these kind of expository ways that it's like just show us that and get to the emotional stuff, you know, right. and, and the character stuff. You don't need to waste time on some of this stuff. And there's a there's a number of moments I felt in this episode where they're just kind of saying what we both already know and what you could just show us with indicators or action, you know, without just coming out and saying, here's where we are now. This is the current situation with this or that thing. Right. Which is not that exciting. Agreed. And there were certain things that got a little repetitive. Like I love Tilly and Vance together. I thought they were great, but I thought a couple times we just kept cutting back to them kind of more or less doing the same thing. Have another sip of Tarka's booze. Yeah. Although I really did like when Tilly said, what a sweetheart that guy is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was once, like, there's my Tilly. There she is. Once everyone evacuated, it was, I mean, we did learn some cool things about federation hq one it moves yeah it breaks she, off into pieces yeah <laughs> so that was pretty cool all, yeah, all that stuff at earth some fantastic visual effects we got to you know there was a great dramatic moment with the uss mitchell which kind of a tribute to ken mitchell yeah so i thought there was a lot of good action there in a way that things were kind of slow mostly out in the hyperfield so they used what's happening on earth for our dramatic stakes, which is really what, where the issue was because earth was really in danger as was Navarre that they kept on mentioning. But I mean, what do you think about the fact that they kind of solved everything maybe by the end of the second act? Like, did it feel too soon? That's the thing is I felt like they solved it. And then there was just all this after stuff. And look, I think we have to talk about Stacey Abrams (laughs) because (laughs) I mean, I, so let's first separate from Stacey Abrams, that whole scene, we didn't need that scene. That to me was extra. We'd already done all the stuff. We could have just said earth just rejoined. It would have been fine because the scene didn't really do anything except present Stacey Abrams. And my, look, I love Stacey Abrams. Like I really look up to her. I think she's amazing. I think she's incredible. I think it was not a good choice. I also know she's a huge Star Trek fan and must have been thrilled. So, you know, if I was chatting with her personally, I'd be like, that was great. I bet you were so excited. That's great. But I didn't think it was a good choice to pick someone who is a political person who belongs to a specific party and is so contemporary. Yeah, not to finish out a season and possibly a series. It was too big of a role for that moment. 
It was so, just rooted in our current politics. Like, yeah, it, and again, not current issues, but specifically like partisan politics. And look, I get it. I get the urge to do it, but I just, I don't think it was a great choice for the show. It takes you right out of the show. You're not watching the show anymore. You're saying, oh, look, I'm so happy for Stacey Abrams. And she's not a professional actress. Right. Know. Right. Um, so, I did like her giant cape. I think if they wanted to bring her in, which I think is fine, it just, you know, a different role at a different time. Not, not president of Earth. At that final <laughs> moment. Yes. But I do feel like it was important, especially because this is potentially a series fall. They had to bring Earth back in. They had to reunite the Federation. And that doesn't happen until Earth is back. And Andoria, they kind of, they said Andoria was in talks because Andoria obviously was part of the Emerald Chains. They're going to be the most difficult um, to bring back. You're also paying off what Vance did, his kind of heroic last stand of defending Earth with Starfleet HQ would be seen by the people of Earth as, okay, well, maybe the Federation isn't so bad after all. I was fine with them doing kind of a big scene. It's just the extended voiceover and the stunt casting wasn't necessary. But uh, Yeah. I think it actually took it. It was like, it was like we're done. And then we just kept going. So let's, let's do the counterfactual. What if they had announced that this show's over, they're going to do another show, maybe with some of the characters and, but this is, this is it for discovery. Would you have enjoyed it more? I think in that sense, you're like, oh, it's nice to say goodbye to these characters. We had these nice little moments with all of them and we got to say goodbye for one last time. I would have given them all dialogue. <laughs> well, there Not were to moments. show them jumping up and down and hugging and laughing, which is nice. And that is how they'd react. Like I actually didn't. I like them all jumping up and down because I thought, oh, that's totally what they do. But I would have given them actual moments. I would have loved to have seen Tilly and Stamets have a conversation you know? Yeah, they gave Tilly and Adira this kind of... Tilly's already handed the torch to Adira in a way to be the nerdy young yeah. person on the ship. And it was a nice little checkup to see, you know, how are you doing as the young nerd? And that was nice. They, they did have little bits of dialogue in the middle of Michael's VO. So they would like pause her VO and Stamets and Q would have a little moment and then the you know, the bridge crew people would have a moment where they once again mention that Bryce is hanging out. Oh, right. Kovich. It's like, it's so important for them to mention that in every episode. But it, it, in a way, I feel like this was more needed as a finale to say goodbye, but now it almost felt a little gratuitous. In a way, this episode is very discovery. You know, it was heavy on the emotion stuff uh, the kind of the plot stuff was almost in the background you know because well, was- i was gonna say they took a bit of a shortcut like so we had this really fascinating concept of trying to learn how to talk to the 10c and develop oh these are these emotion molecules and then they try and figure it all out and it's very slow and painstaking in a way that totally fit with the story and made sense in terms of actually the communication part yeah but then they just throw away a line like oh the new language algorithm is on the way here it is. And then all of a sudden they could have much more complex conversations. And I feel like we didn't, I don't know how they got there. Maybe Tarina through her mind meld or, you know. But, but they didn't say it. 
They yeah. didn't they didn't say any of those things and those sometimes they skip the thing I want to spend more time on. And in this case I thought that was such a fascinating idea. I mean it's not it's it's been done, but it's still always interesting. And then they just skipped, "Oh yeah, here it is. We got it." Well, this gets back to what I was saying last week about how last week's episode was incomplete i felt it was really the first half of a two-part finale so when you put them together you have a fascinating two-part finale with a lot of highfalutin sci-fi in the first half you know by the second half like well we've kind of done that you know we we yeah they weren't we, inter- they weren't even interested in it anymore yeah <laughs> i mean i i would you know it's a very simple thing like they we never found out we got to see 10c the design was very cool yeah um they were giant floating things you know different than you know the concepts from cosmos they had a face sort of they reminded me a little bit of the leviathans from mass effect for you gamers out there yeah i got nothing there (laughs) (laughs) but i thought the design was cool i i enjoyed that scene but it kind of did it was a little too easy for them to suddenly be able to communicate with them but we never got like you know, I want to learn more about their society and their technology, and uh, we didn't even learn what they call themselves. That they were still calling them Tensi after they left, Ten- yeah, and they were Tensi just kind of sent them home. Like, do they have a way to communicate with them in the future? Right. You know, it just it all. Is it, there going to be an ongoing dialogue? Yeah. What's what's the story here? Right. I mean, you've made contact with this amazing, interesting species. You you had this great breakthrough and um, goodbye. Sure, yeah. You know, <laughs> remember earlier in the season, they show yes. up at the world ship. Right. And they meet this fascinating species. They don't even meet. They wake up the fascinating species and then they leave. Goodbye. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just kind of like, wow. Um, let's hope the 32nd century version of the USS Cerritos is heading out to species 10 C <laughs> and they're going to have all sorts of fun adventures where there's the 32nd century version of Boimler and Mariner and Captain Freeman are going to have second contact and they'll take care of all those things. Let's yeah. Hope. Let's hope that would actually be fun. I would watch that. <laughs> I have a question for you. Go ahead. And I'm hoping that you can explain it to me because when I watched, I still didn't really understand it, which okay. was so book finds Grudge's collar because Grudge hated hollows. I was, can you explain what that was? I this, was very the, confused. The, this was kind of a deep cut because um, it had been mentioned before that book had gotten a holographic goldfish, I think, but um, it, it ended up that Grudge hated it and grudge the the grudge's dislike of holograms have been mentioned before and i think it was also in the comic book so his, but what did this device do it turned off it turned off holograms around grudge basically because grudge doesn't like them so um but does which, that mean if book was talking to a courier because he said something about then all of a sudden book wouldn't be talking to the courier anymore if grudge came near the courier. yeah because... it did it if you kind of follow down the trail of that yes it sort of implied that, or maybe it made a little cat door inside the courier so Grudge could get away. I don't know. But it disrupted holographic fields, which apparently force fields are also holographic in sure. this case. Yeah, which I found also confusing, but okay. But then, of course, once you saw that cat door, didn't it beg the question, do we get to see them crawling through the cat door? 
<laughs> and the, sadly, the answer was no. I yeah. really wanted to see Jet Reno crawling through the cat door. And Book, there's no way Book would have fit through that cat door, actually. Here's a Tig Dutaro logistics thing. Obviously, all those scenes, they were shot together. But Oh, I, I know what you're going to say. I think the scene where her on the bridge, where she beams onto the bridge. I totally separate. Yep. Totally faked. Good. Completely Very faked. well. Because every shot of her and another character is from the backs. So I think it's a body yep. double, which we've seen before the muse. And because she just like has a brief chat and then just gets off the bridge like really fast. Like, I'm and then we here. don't even see her again. Like that's like we when, hear her. Yes, we hear her because she says, I'm already making a cocktail, Bobcat, which I loved. Yeah. Just prime Reno. But yeah, it was very like I watched it and I went, oh, she's not really there because you only could see the back of other people's heads or the back of her head and nobody in yeah. focus, no other they, faces. They did a good job um, with it. It wasn't too obvious. Tig is obviously used to that. She inserted herself into a whole movie um, once. So, <laughs> Well, uh, other people inserted her, but yes. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, getting back to the, the communication thing. One thing I did like was when Book did the glowing head thing and the you know he oh yeah he's, he's the one who finally broke through and i like that like it, you know even with the you know the president and michael and saru and all their technology they could only get the the 10c to agree to use the dma in different places right um, to be a little more careful like yeah more thorough surveys or whatever <laughs> yeah because they realized that we're more than just ants um and when he communed with them i thought that was nice and it's a nice callback to his ability that did match our prediction by the way and if you know there was a subtle thing where the pattern on his head matched the light pattern on all the 10c around them so they they all became book for a moment i think when Tarina, because I thought, oh no, Tarina's going to be the one to do it, but her Vulcan telepathy, which is supposedly stronger, couldn't break through to them. Right. Um, she could kind of understand, but it was painful, and she got a bloody nose and ended up in sick bay. So I, you know, I thought it was great that they brought back Book's ability, which they hadn't used all season. Um, I liked how the the ship itself and the spore drive became part of part of the solution. You know, so they were they were working on the core capacities of the ship and the characters, um, I felt. Yeah, I would agree. I really I did like that part with book and it did make sense that they needed to feel the depth of what they had done. And then they really felt it and that that was I mean, they did communicate primarily through emotions. So it made sense. And the way they blew up Stamets's lab, which they now call engineering, I'm wondering if that gives them <laughs> the opportunity in season five to finally like create a new set and there'll be a new kind of spore drive maybe maybe they finally solve the spore drive situation or they've come up with some new kind of interesting drive that isn't even the spore drive for the right. ship you know some super duper you know it would have been like what they should have done like it's right before tarka died he should have handed book a thing saying here's all my research on all my crazy things and you know, and for, you know, another season, they keep on finding, oh, Tark invented this crazy thing. You know, right. Kind of like the sphere data where it's just this endless supply of cool stuff he invented. Right. So let's take a step back and sort of look at the overall, the season as a whole. Well, it started really strong, I felt. And 
I do like how they really stuck to their guns on their themes, which they haven't done very well in previous seasons. Although it started to drag a little bit as, you know, um, we got closer to the end. We got some filler episodes. You know, although I really, you know, I like the diversion episodes, like the one, you know, where they... The Karma Barge? Karma Barge. They met that weird alien species. I wish we got to know more about them. So, no, I think it was, in general, one of their stronger seasons. But, you know, there was a couple clunkers in there. And it didn't end on a whimper. It just ended on a... a Meh. We're going back to my meh. Yeah. I would go better. It's better than meh. It's like, yeah. Okay. That's fine. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, if you ever just sat down at a, at a restaurant and, you know, it's like, it wasn't delicious and amazing, but it wasn't crazy. It was just like, it, you know, you, you, you feel full. Right. You know? I was hungry. I had food. It was fine. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like last week, I didn't feel full. I felt like, like I got, you know, the, the meal was incomplete. But right. But, and I was so excited to get the last one. You know, all, but what I say is, but the meal we had last week, the, the, the stuff that was on the plate was more delicious last week. There just yes. wasn't enough of it. This week, there was plenty of, you know, it was like an all-you-could-eat buffet, almost. But, you know, none of it, w- it was very spicy, as it were. And I like my food spicy. <laughs> Me <so>. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now, are we going to just stretch these metaphors to just... Yeah, the food to... metaphor is a good one. Yeah. Because cake uh, is eternal. Um, <laughs> but that's the thing. So the, the season as a whole, like, I feel like it started off with a lot of action stuff that I enjoyed. I loved the butterfly people and the Romulan woman who was killing people and stealing things to help the people in the pods wake up. Um, even the examples, like there, there was a lot of Zora refusing to give them information and all the baggage that comes with trying to unravel that michael almost dying while the crew's in stasis like all this action stuff and then the last bunch of episodes and the hiatus did not help yeah was just a lot of waiting slow slow okay we got one piece of information by the end of the episode we got one other thing so it really slowed down and we've said this before fewer episodes would have made i think everything tighter and better Next season will be 10, like the other shows. If this storyline was 10 episodes, it would have worked better, for sure. Yeah. I, I still enjoyed the season. I'm still looking forward to season five. I yep. do wish they set something fun up. So now, but I guess they, they could just kind of do anything they want for season Yeah, just... now they have a little more freedom, which I'd like to see. I don't feel like I need them to pick up threads. I'm happy to go somewhere new with the with this team i like i still like the cast i do feel like overall across the season the guest stars overshadowed a lot of the main cast and that was a bit of a shame even though they were great strong ones but they definitely overshadowed and they had to go into the background a little bit and i hope that they will bring them back to the forefront so if mary wiseman is not going to be a series regular if she's (laughs) doing her own thing or going on to another show fine great but Adira only replaces the notion of the nerdy youngster um, genius. But the key to Tilly was the humor and the heart and... And the that, saying the thing that other people wouldn't say out loud. Yeah. They need to replace Mary Wiseman as right. a, you know, I don't know. But they, as you've said, there's a hole in the show and they need to fill that hole. And they need a security officer. <laughs> 
They need a security officer. And, you know, Adira is a trill now, right? Like Adira has a symbiont, correct? Uh, Yeah. Can we talk about that? I mean, can can the show address that? Like a a bunch of times, I feel like they started some interesting idea and then just kind of dropped it. And I think Zora got a little bit dropped along the way. And Adira got dropped along the way. Like they set up these things and then don't go anywhere. Well, I think they feel like we've done that. Like you were saying, you know, isn't there going to be more to the Culbert thing? And I'm like, no, they said he needs a vacation. He's fine now. Adira yeah. is fine now. Zora Adira is, is fine, fine now, now. And has no adjustment to actually having a symbiont. Like that to me is interesting. So I would like to see more in the Zora thing. There's so much to unravel and unpack and deal with there that they didn't do. So I feel like Tilly would be the one running around going, can we talk about all these things? I'm actually going to see uh, Mary Wiseman's play on Saturday. So I will get to see Tilly, even if she won't be Tilly. Does that run through June, by the way, thinking about when they start shooting? No, I think it's just February and March. I'm not sure. Oh, well. I mean, it's already February's over. So, or maybe into April. I'll have to check, but I'm going on Saturday. Well, I think that's pretty much it. Can I bring up two nitpicks? Nitpick one. How did Michael know Tarka's story about Oros? She tells, oh, he had someone that he loved and then he tried to find him. How did she know that? Good question. So that's my first one. She watches the show. Oh, cool. So she probably (laughs) cried a lot during that scene with her in book like I did. Um, (laughs) I'm ready to sob again. And then my other one is, and we mentioned this briefly before, but these transporters, besides how rude they are with people just zipping in and zipping out all the time in a way that seems startling and rude. Uh, I also think nobody gives them any command. Like, how does it know where they're going? Yeah, that's... Everybody's always just like, floop, 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 floop. And then I'm like, are they going to different places? They're going to the same place? They didn't say, we're going to the Mitchell or we're going to this room or we're going to talk to the delegates or whatever. They just press it and just go, bloop. And it just doesn't doesn't make any sense. Well... You know, this is a trope that goes back to TNG and the way they use the communicators. Yes. And, and, yes. And you, you know what? This isn't just Star Trek. Have you ever seen the video of a thing? It's it's called No One Ever Says Goodbye on the phone. On oh, yeah. I've, I mean, I've been complaining about that since I was about 10. Yeah. So. Nobody says goodbye. They just hang up the phone. And also everybody just goes to someone's house when they, or workplace when they want to talk to them. It's a shortcut. All writers do it with various forms of technology where they just feel like they're wasting time. So, Right. But it is the the rudeness of it kind of bothers me. And also the fact that everybody's going to get really fat if they don't have to walk anywhere anymore. It is startling. Like it's loud and it's just like. It's jarring. It's quite jarring. And you should be able to not have somebody pop into wherever you are. Like it's just it's too much. I would be like, what? So (laughs) it's a little scary. (laughs) The one time I noticed it was when Book leaves. So it's kind of the opposite when Book is talking to Michael and he just kind of bloops out. But I felt that was because security took him, right? Like to me, that one I could justify and I sort of thought it was going to happen. I didn't think they were going to come back into the room. What do you think they're going to do with Book in season five? What would you do with Book? I know you love the character, but... Would you continue with him as a series regular um, boyfriend on the ship or recurring or one-time guest star or not at all? So I would do the the cheesy thing because I love him so much. 
So I would pick up after he's done all of his stuff of helping out. And now he's back. Like I would start with them reuniting and now he's back on the ship because I love him and I can't get enough. How about you? I would have him doing something else off somewhere else. Hmm. And then that becomes an important part of the show maybe later, but I would get him off the ship and on his own. I don't think you love him quite the way that I love him. I just think it's a better use of the character to allow the show to have multiple locations and we check in on book and he's doing something interesting somewhere. And then that eventually becomes part of the main arc of the show. So, yeah, I mean, I do feel like this season and I think a lot of this was, was COVID filming related was there was a lot of separation and cutting from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And I actually am interested in seeing more togetherness. But that's why it was so, and there were, there were some satisfying moments in that scene. I liked when Tilly walked into the bar at the end, which the bar needs a name, by the way, like a 1040 name. Or does it have one? Well, it, it is just called The Lounge, I believe. Okay, I'll go with that. So I did, you know, I, I liked seeing her reuniting with everybody. So that was nice to have everybody together. But I did feel like there was a lot of silos this season for reasons they probably couldn't avoid. Yeah. Anyway, I think now I'm done. Okay. <laughs> there was a lot to talk about, like good, bad, and in the middle. So that's it for episode 83 of All Access Star Trek. We'll be back next week, and we'll only have one episode to talk about. Episode 4, Season 2, Star Trek Picard. See you then. <laughs>